Well, it's Labor Day weekend, as many of you may know that, as you might have tomorrow off from work, and I just thought I'd spend a moment speaking about rest. Now, before I talk about that, though, let me just say one comment about work, and we'll be saying a lot about work later, but maybe you can look around the congregation now and you notice some empty seats who you know should be there next to you. I encourage you to call that person up and ask them where they're at. Encourage them because maybe they're not here because they are working. I saw this video and I thought about the farmers. And I thought there's some people who they don't get this day off tomorrow. They have to work every single day to provide for us. But there's many different ways that we and they might rest. Now, there's the obvious way of resting, and resting well, hopefully, when we go to bed and we're resting in our nice, cozy bed, or maybe on a couch as you take a nap, or maybe you take a nap in the, on your lunch break in your car as you relax your chair back and zonk for 15, 20 minutes. I, I got to say, though, I've never been able to do that, because if I try and take a quick nap in my car, or anywhere for that matter, I'll be late getting back to work because I'm not good at waking back up. But there's many other ways that we find ourselves resting in life. And everybody rests in different ways. Now, for some of us, maybe we find rest, and not the sleeping type of rest, but rest for our souls, rest for our, for our brains, mental rest, physical rest, by resting as we read a book. Maybe we rest by sewing or keeping our hands busy doing something. Maybe we rest, we find rest by on our day off or a lunch break going fishing. That's how I like to find rest of that, that type. Maybe you rest, maybe some of you men and women are looking forward to resting in a tree stand here in next month as you've got your bow in hand. And maybe some of you others who are not hunting will find your rest doing other things while that person is hunting with feeling no guilt for leaving him or her behind as you go shopping or as you watch a movie or as you do something else. There's nothing wrong with all of these ways that we find rest. There's many different ways that we find rest. And I thought it appropriate today of all days, all weekends, as we're on Labor Day weekend to talk about this. Working well, work well, to rest well. Labor Day weekend. The idea of resting we should talk about, but we also should talk about the idea of working. Because we must work well to really rest well. In fact, I had, a, I had a co-worker, a friend, when I used to flip houses as a side job that would tell me all the time that he thinks that's the problem with men today. They don't work hard enough. And because they, work, they don't work hard enough, they have struggles at home with resting and with sleeping and other things because you haven't worn your body out. Now, some of you men and women in here, maybe you work too hard and you never make time to rest as you should. Now, there's different ways we rest, as I said, and maybe you're thinking, as I talk about working well to rest well, you're thinking more of this physical world, working Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday to deserve a day off. Or there's other ways, such as maybe you're thinking about working well throughout the entire year so that you deserve that week or two week or three week of vacation time to be able to rest well on the beach or at the lake or wherever else you may go on a family vacation. I know some people go to South Dakota or out west. Some people go south 
Some people might go north. I hope it's during the summer and not the winter. We get enough cold around here. But maybe you work well and hard because you just like to work. That's okay. But maybe you work hard and you work well because, you know, you have a family to provide for. You have hobbies or you have interests to provide for. And you can't afford those things if you don't work well or work hard. Maybe you work well and you work hard because you don't want to lose your job. These are all good things. Or maybe you work hard and you work well as you look forward to a weekend like this, Labor Day weekend. You, know, you see, there's many different ways we can work hard. And before I move on to speaking in a biblical sense of how we should work hard, work well, and rest well, I looked up some tips, some other worldly tips from from a news article on how to find rest. And here's what they said. Some of them are quite serious. Some of them are quite funny. So number one, and I guess it's actually maybe more of a list of what not to do if you're trying to rest. Number one, don't work out right before trying to rest or sleep. Number two, here's that funny one, don't go pick a fight with someone if you're trying to rest if you're trying to sleep. And you know what? That one can be quite hard because sometimes when you need rest the most, when you need sleep the most, you're grumpy, you're grouchy, you're on edge, and one little thing can set you off. And I see some smiles out there, so I know you agree or you know what I'm talking about. But then once the kids start complaining or whining or being noisy or getting in trouble while you're trying to take a quick little nap, you can't rest then, can you? Because now you're uneasy. So don't go pick a fight with someone when you're trying to rest, especially not a physical fight, because then you'll be in the hospital, and, well, unless they give you some good drugs, you can't rest well there. Number three, don't try to tackle a hard task when you're trying to rest or relax. Number four, if you're trying to rest, it may not be the best time to go for a long drive. Especially not at nighttime, you see, because you might find that rest only to be quickly awakened and startled. <laughs> or you might find a different type of rest, an eternal rest, before your time. But today we're going to talk about what the Bible says to do for rest. You see, I grew up, though, with a work ethic where my dad always taught myself and my brothers, my family, that you should work 110% at anything you do. And now that I'm older, of course, that very statement I know is flawed because you can't really work 110%, 120%. I remember the joke growing up my brothers would say, well, Dad, I'm going to work 200% at this job. I'm going to do better than anybody. And that's a great thought. But we need to give 100% to work. We must work well and work hard in this life and work hard, work well at our jobs, but not just to please our boss, not just to please our spouse when we bring home a paycheck, but to please God. And not just to please God, but to bring attention to God, to bring, bring glory to Him, to use our work as a testimony. In Colossians 3.23, we read this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, Work hard at fulfilling his commands and living by his righteous ways. You see, this, this way of living by God's way and God's righteous ways and instructions is what's best for your life. But sometimes we struggle with that. We struggle with seeing that. We struggle with understanding that. 
or maybe just our sinful way of living, our, our laziness that sometimes kicks in, or maybe it's Satan that kicks in as he, he doesn't want us to give our 100% at everything. He definitely doesn't want us to give glory to God in how we work because that takes attention and brings it directly to the one that can save them. And Satan wants nothing more than to mess that up. Another reason we work well or hard is so that we can rest on the Sabbath. Do you see, that's something else that this society and this culture, the world today, has forgotten. I mean, what is this anyways? Rest? The Sabbath? This is something far too often we don't pay any attention to, but God knew from the beginning of creation that we would need an example and an, a, an instruction to rest. We rest well, and we work well. But we rest well so that we can focus on God. We can reprioritize, and we can focus on the many blessings which he gives us. And we'll have more about that later. But here's some other things that we work well at. And I'm sorry, I didn't make sermon slides here, so you just have to pay attention and take notes well today on your own. Um, but number one, we should be working hard at loving others. Number two, we should be working well at making disciples and spreading the gospel. I've been reading a book lately by J.D. Greer called Above All. And what a great reminder. We can never have enough reminders that the gospel and making disciples and loving God, these things should be above all the most important thing of our lives. And sometimes we, we preach and we preach and we preach about may the lost be found, spreading the gospel, evangelism, and that's all great, but we fail to see that making disciples part. You see, making disciples isn't just about telling them the good news. It's about teaching them the good news. It's about teaching them of God's righteous ways of living so that you don't continue to live in your old ways, but instead you live as the new creation, as the new person that you are in Christ. In Christ, they should see Christ in you. In Christ, they should see you living with the gift of the Holy Spirit and all the workings of him in your life. In Christ, they should see you working well so that God can get the glory for the life that you now have. You see, we're not of this world. And as we work well, people should be able to see that we are aliens of this world. We're strangers in this world. We're not of this world. They should be able to see that you and you and you and you and all of us work with such an energy, such a drive, such an excitement that they want to ask you, why do you put forth so much effort at, at these things? I mean, why? You could just do what needs to be done and let somebody else do the rest. And then you get to use it as a testimony to talk about God's love that he gave you. God went all the way and beyond. He didn't wait for somebody else. He went and sent his one and only son to die for you so that you might have life. God worked well, but he also rested well. And we have that illustration for our own lives. But the main point I have for you in today's message is this. You must work well. You must work hard at protecting yourself from sins and temptations to rest well. We can't truly rest well without God in our lives, and we truly, truly, truly cannot rest well when our soul is torn apart by temptations and sins and giving ourselves away 
piece by piece by piece with every single day. We need to allow God to make us whole. One part of this means that you must work hard at going to him in your times of need. We must be living like Christ and according to your new self in Christ, as we talked about. And we must be working harder and harder and harder each and every single day to be putting the old self away. So again, we must work well, we must work hard at protecting yourself from sins and temptations of today to truly rest well. And to truly rest well is to find your rest in God and God alone. If we work hard and work well at these things, we will rest well. We'll rest well today knowing that we are living with God in our lives, but we'll rest well for all of eternity with our future in God's control. Because we're not in control. And the more we try and stay in control ourselves and not give that control away, the more our lives spiral and spiral down. God is in control. And as we talked about earlier with that song with communion, we need to surrender all to him. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 tells us this. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest forevermore, forevermore. But notice that part there also that says, we find rest for our souls. You see, Christ, the cross, his life, death, and resurrection, his body broken, his blood spilled, all of this, that is the only thing which can truly give you rest for your very souls. And many people mistakenly compartmentalize their lives. And they put their lives in the wrong order of importance. You see, in the first box, they place their work life as the most important thing. And you know what? Maybe it's in different orders here. In the second box, they might put their hobbies, their time off, their families. In some ways, it's a bit crazy that we spend more waking hours, we spend more waking hours working than we do with our families or with God. And that's just the society we live in to an extent. I understand that. But at the same time, maybe we need to reevaluate ourselves and look to the days we do have at home, the days we do have where we're not working, or the hours or the minutes we have when we're not working. We need to reevaluate those lives, reexamine those parts of our lives, and look to how we are living. Is it worthy? But number three is this. So number two, in the first box, they place their work life. In the second box, their hobbies and time off, keeping it all to themselves. And number three in the third box is their relationship with God. Do you know what the problem is there? The problem is God is not to be put in a box, first of all. But secondly, God should not just be in this one part of your life. So we could say part of the problem is their importance. God should be number one. We are second. God is one. We are second. But really, God shouldn't even be just that number one. God should be in everything. So every single box. That's why I say many people mistakenly compartmentalize their lives. In the first box, they place their work life. God should be in your workplace with you. In the second box, their hobbies, their time off, their families, whatever else. God should be there too. Number three, 
the third box, a relationship with God that wouldn't even exist because God would just be in every part of your life. As you work well, as you rest well, we can worship God in both those things. Working well and resting well goes together. God is the Lord of our life. And he's not just Lord over part of our life. He wants to be Lord over every part of our life. In Psalm 62, we find the main scripture for today. And I apologize, I meant to tell you to turn that to that earlier. But if you want to turn to Psalm 62 in your Bibles or in the Bibles in front of you there or in your tablets, your cell phones, whatever it may be, open up to Psalm 62, verse 5. And you can catch up a little bit here, but Psalm 62. In Psalm 62, a great psalm. You know, it's an interesting psalm because it's a very simple psalm, but it's also a psalm which has some great important statements for us to hear. Psalm 62, we read this starting in verse 5. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. Yes, my soul, comma, find rest in God. I picked the NIV translation this morning specifically because I knew that's what's in the pews there. But you can look at your ESV or whatever else you have. But the NIV, I like the wording here. It says, yes, my soul, comma, find rest in God. You see, this is David speaking, and David's telling himself, oh, my soul, yes, find rest in the Lord. And I'll talk about this in a moment. But as we read on, it says, my hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock. He is my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock. He is my refuge. Trust in him at all times. You people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. This psalm of David, like I said, is a simple psalm, but it is one with great meaning behind it as well. As if you look to the background of the psalm, it doesn't really say it specifically here, but you can see it in other parts of God's word and tradition kind of hands down or has been placed that we believe this psalm was wrote at a time of great turmoil or despair in King David's life. You see, it's believed that David had a great heartbreak as there was a great rebellion rising up against him. And this rebellion was led by no other but his own son, Absalom. Now, we could talk a lot about the historical context here, what this scene might have looked like. I mean, can you imagine your own son starting a rebellion against you? And maybe you feel that way. Maybe at times your son or your family or your friend has let you down. And you don't know where to go. Your, your soul is at turmoil. You feel split. You feel tore apart. That's how David felt. But it went so much further than that as his best friends, his best leaders, his best servants, everybody was starting to turn away from him and were changing their allegiances, betraying him and going to his son. But David, in this great time of need, when he needed to find great rest for his heart, his soul, his mind, he knew that only in God would he find that true rest that he needed. David knew to depend on God and God alone. Some translations say God only. Only do I find my rest in the Lord. Only in the Lord do I find rest. Only in the Lord do I sleep. David knew rest. He knew peace. He knew sleep only because he knew to trust God completely. 
this psalm number 62 has been referred to some as the only psalm. And it's not the only psalm because there's only one. Obviously, we know there's a lot more than one. But it's the only psalm because of how much it refers to God only. God alone is who we truly find peace and rest in troubled times. Our problem is this. You see, David knew to, to find rest. He needed to commit his problems totally to God. David knew he needed to surrender all, just like we talked about with communion. But our problem is that we often hold on to our own fears, our own problems, our own letdowns, whether we're letting down ourselves and we're, we're upset and at turmoil within our very heart, our mind, our, our soul, our heart, because, uh, because of our own weaknesses, or maybe we're tore apart because of somebody else. You feel they sinned against you, or you feel at the very, or, or they sinned against God, and you don't know what to do about it, or at the very least, you just feel upset because of how they treated you, or how they treated your family member, or how they treated a friend, or maybe how they treated a stranger. But our problem is we hold on to it when we need to surrender it to God. We must put our faith in God just like David does, and we must remember that it is in God alone that we find our rest. Let me read that again. It says, yes, my soul, find rest in God. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. To an extent, he's reminding himself to find rest in God. But to another extent, he's recognizing that this is where he finds his rest. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves that that's where we find rest in a biblical sense. Sometimes... We need to not remind ourselves, but we just need to recognize the rest that we have. And we need to thank God for the rest that he's provided for us. But we see something else here that reads on. We see this. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, and I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock. He is my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people, and pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Now, I wrote down, I think God is our refuge in three ways. Now, there's many other ways we could obviously come up with, but I simplified it to three. Number one, to find rest, you must recognize God as your refuge, as an almighty refuge. When you recognize God as an almighty refuge to you, it helps you to rest, and you must put your trust and your faith in him for this, but it helps you to rest because you recognize in his almighty power, his godly power, his God is God, and the power just in that statement of God being God is your guarantee that he will provide the rest that you need. The power of God being God is your guarantee that he will provide your rest. You find a peace, you provide a you, you, you find a, a peace and a rest that goes beyond your own understanding, your own comprehension. I told somebody who walked in the church this week, actually I think it was our, our uh, office manager, Jessica, that I love a, another psalm, I believe it's Psalm 92, that says that the, the Lord's understanding, the Lord's wisdom goes beyond our understanding because stupid man cannot comprehend, stupid man cannot understand. I believe that was the ESV translation, but I just loved how it was put. Stupid man cannot understand. Guys, we're not meant to understand everything. We're not meant to be in control of everything. 
We're not meant to be able to have a handle on everything. God is. And the, the sooner we recognize the almighty refuge we have in God, the sooner we can find some type of peace, some type of rest in our life as we recognize the control that he has. But number two is this, the power of God being, being God. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going back. Let me say this. Where do we go to find our rest? When do you recognize the great need in your life? How about this? When you feel there's so much work to be done around you that you do not even know where to start. When you feel there's so much evil around you. When you feel your life is in such despair or in such turmoil that you don't even know how to plead to God and ask forgiveness. Those are times you need to ask God for forgiveness when you need to ask God for help the most. You see, I believe it's a sin not to be sad, not to be angry, not to, to have these emotions, because God created these emotions. But I do believe it's a sin when you allow these emotions to control your life. God is the only thing that should be controlling your life. And sometimes we need to hand it over to God. We need to surrender it to God, and we need to ask him to help us in these emotions. God, help us to help ourselves. God, help us when we don't know what to do. Help us when we don't know how to fix it. Help us when we don't know what words to say. Help us when we don't know what direction to run. And God will lead you. But you must work well. You must work well. Number two, recognize God as your refuge. Number two in this, God is a gracious refuge. That's number two there. Recognize God as your refuge, as a gracious refuge and provider of peace and rest to those who trust and have faith in him. God is as kind as he is strong. God is as kind as he is strong. And his grace overcomes any fears that we may have, which in turn allows us to rest and find peace. And number three, God is a righteous refuge. God is a righteous refuge, and he never does wrong to his creation. He is the vindicator of the weak, the oppressed, the down and outers. He brings peace and rest to those in need. Even when everything around you seems out of control, he can bring you rest. He can bring you peace. That is, when, that is how people in the hospital, people dying, people struggling with diseases and illnesses, people struggling with families, with friends, can find rest. Because even in those times, they recognize that they have God by their side. They have God in their life. God is our refuge. And he brings us rest. Although our souls may be in turmoil at times, just like David's, all is not lost. And that's what David recognizes. Everything around him may feel like it's crumbling away, crumbling down as this rebellion's around him. But he recognizes things are not lost. You see, number one, our souls are not lost. Number two, our hope is not lost. They are with us as a heavenly refuge, in a heavenly refuge, a rock. Our salvation belongs to God, who is a fortress. It's interesting that David also used that illustration of a rock. God is a rock. God is a fortress. God is a refuge. Because David would often seek refuge in a cavern, a cave, a rock. Number three, our Savior in God is never lost. So that should help us to recognize that we are never lost when we place our faith in him. But back to working well to rest well. We must work well to rest well spiritually. 
As I said earlier, my main point today is actually to work well, to rest well, we must be watching out that we do not sin. And that God, who is righteous and just, will give us the rest that we need. But I think here's a problem here. Too many sins have become normalized in society. Drugs, sex before marriage, drunkenness, all these things in society, they believe that it's just normal today. Anything that controls your life above God is not right. God should be the only thing that controls your life, and we need to look at God's righteous ways of living, the instruction book that he gave us, and look to what's righteous living, what's right, and what's wrong. And I'm sorry, but these things are wrong. And that's just picking three easy things. But let's look to Luke 17, 1 through 6. In Luke 17, we read this. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Where is your faith? Is your faith in God and God alone? God only, because only him, only he, only God can truly give you the rest that you desire and the rest that you need. Here in Luke 17, we see a few more things. We see that temptations to sin will come. It's inevitable. Look around you. Temptations are everywhere, and we need to expect them. But you must work well at defending yourself against these temptations. If you refer to Matthew 18, 7, it says to cut off your foot if it causes you to sin. Take out your eye, gouge out your eye, the word is that uses, if it causes you to sin. Now, obviously, I'm not asking you right now to go out and gouge out your eye or cut off your foot if it's leading you to sin. But that is how crucial, that is how important the, the war is on sin and how much importance we need to put on defending ourselves against temptation, against giving in to sin. Psalm 4.8 tells us, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Where do you find your rest? How do you rest? Find your rest in God, in God alone. Despite all the temptations around us, all of the struggles that you will face, you can endure them all. You can endure them all. I didn't say they'll all go away, but you can endure them all with God. You can rest. Luke 7 also gives us a reminder that we need to work well at watching out for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're instructed by Jesus to work well in pointing out their misconduct or their sins. But there's something else there which we often struggle with, and that's number three. We must work well at forgiving them. I'm giving you lots of numbers today. I'm sorry. We must, number one, see the temptation to sin is inevitable and work well at preventing yourself from giving in to them. We must, number two, work well at watching out for our brothers and sisters in Christ. But then number three, we must work well at forgiving them. And this is where we need to work harder and harder and harder because we struggle with forgiveness. 
But let me tell you this, it is impossible to truly rest well in God when you're holding on to something that you must forgive. We need to surrender it to Christ. Surrender it to God. We must look to Jesus as the ultimate example of love and forgiveness and forgive. Forgive and look to God for rest. But let's talk about that intro video for a moment as we start to wrap up. That intro video we watched was called A Labor Day Thanks. And we, we saw the different thanks for different types of workers. You see, we need workers. We need all of you. We need each and every single one of you. Each and every single one of you are important to, to society. And we all pull it together to be fed, to be taught, to be cared for, to be provided for, and so much more. Thank you for working hard. And as you have this Labor Day weekend to have a break, I hope you take it. But I still want to ask you to work well, work hard at one thing. And that's work well spiritually to not fall victim, to not fall prey to temptation and sin and to the devil's work. You see, it's when we rest well that Satan knows that he has somebody to attack. Because we don't have our guard up. But if we're resting in God, if we're resting in his word, if we're resting in a constant, ever-present relationship with him, then we will remain strong. And that's where David was strong. David here in Psalm 62, it may not read like he's praying, but that's because his whole life was like a prayer. He lived in a constant relationship with God, and we should do so also. We also need to recognize that work is not a bad thing. Work was never meant to be a bad thing. Neither is rest. You see, God created work at the beginning of creation. And it's unfortunate, but only because of sin in this fallen world that we see work as bad. But work is a good thing, and God created us with a good work ethic and to work hard to name the animals, to care for the garden, to care for God's creation in the beginning. If there's one aspect of life, though, that can often frustrate you, can frustrate anybody, it's work. But we must remember that working allows us to eat. It allows us to pay the bills. It allows us to enjoy entertainment. It allows us to invest in things that we're passionate about. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we read Paul talk more about work. Now, I can't read it all to you today, but what we see is this. We see Paul explain the importance of working and handling our responsibilities. Paul stresses this so much that he says a person should not expect to eat if he doesn't work. Now, we all run into bad times. We all run into hard times, and we should care for one another. We should help one another. But all I'm trying to get across to you is that work is not a bad thing. But if we go to work every day with the mindset that it's bad, woe is me, oh, I wish I didn't have to work, then it's not going to glorify God. But if we go to work every day with the mindset of worshiping the Lord in our duties, it will help us to begin a new rhythm of bringing both work and rest together. We can worship God in all we do. Work hard and in a way which brings glory to God and do not forget to work hard at the spiritual matters of your soul. And rest. And I'm going to work through this fast. Rest well. You see, resting from our work allows us to prioritize and focus on other things that God has blessed us with. We need to rest. God, at the beginning of creation, ordered this in the Sabbath and giving us a day to rest, to enjoy our family, to enjoy our friends, but most importantly, to enjoy and recognize God and the blessings he's given you. 
we must rest. We rest in knowing that our sins have been paid in full, freely. We rest in knowing that we have a heavenly Father, a God in our life. We rest knowing that you have a future with Him. Rest is an activity meant to rejuvenate our bodies, rejuvenate our lives. And it's important, but our culture today, they seem to tell you that resting is lazy. That resting is bad. You should always be working. When you're not working your paying job, you should have a second job, a third job. You should be working on the house. You should be working on this. Sometimes we just need to rest. The Bible challenges this view. It tells us in Genesis 2 that the Sabbath is holy and blessed when was actually enforced by God. Knowing that the Lord believes this should stress it to you, too, that you need to believe this. Rest. Work well to rest well. David had a lot of issues to be concerned about, but he took a moment to rest. And we too can find rest, but we must work well to rest well. We must work well at recognizing that rest, true rest, only comes through God. So let me end with this thought. As we look to David's example on how to find rest in God, I encourage you to work well to rest well by talking to God. Include God in every part of your life. And that starts this weekend and every single day after. Have a life like David, who God is not just a Sunday God, but an everyday God. Talk with God daily and involve him in every part of your life. Don't miscompartmentalize your life with God being the last thing. But surrender your life and allow God to be your everything. Enjoy your day off. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend. But don't put God on the back burner. Please bow your heads as we close in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the great example of David's life time and time and time and time again. How David, although he made mistakes just like we do, boy do we make mistakes. Lord, you forgive us. You forgave David. And you said David was a man after your own heart. Lord, may we look to David's life and to the life of Christ and to all these other biblical heroes of faith to see examples of the faith that we need to have. And may we find rest in you and you alone. And may, may we work well, but may we rest well. May we work well in you and in your righteous ways of living. And may we rest well in you as well. And it's in your holy and powerful name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you very much. You are dismissed. Just a reminder, there is a quick sign.